down in twos. <laughs> nah, we do. Baby, read. This is what I'm trying to say, man. <laughs> they make me sick. Nothing ever gets done in New York with the Knicks. Nothing. Nothing. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Ball Street Journal podcast. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers offseason. So just to preface, as we get started on this podcast, it may come off as a little biased. Um, you know, usually I try to be very objective, but um, this is one of those teams that I absolutely love what they're building and the players that they have. And, um, you know, it's really hard. It's going to be hard for me to kind of point out the negatives with this team, um, but I'll try my best. So the Cavaliers last year finished as the number eight seed with a record of 44 and 38. They then lost in the first play-in game to the Brooklyn Nets. And then they lost the second play-in game as well to the Atlanta Hawks at home. So ultimately, they were eliminated out of the playoffs. And so the Cavs then were, um, at one point, they were at the number four seed, number five seed, even up until 30, 40 games into the regular season for a good portion they then were bitten by the injury bug. Uh, they lost Jared Allen. They lost Evan Mobley for a period of time. Laurie Markkinen was hurt. And of course, Colin Sexton tore his ACL early into the season. And he was out pretty much the whole year. What I thought really hurt them was the Ricky Rubio injury. So Rubio came in um, he as the backup to Garland. And he was a really stabilizing force. And he provided that secondary playmaking. They were even able to play Rubio and Garland together at times. And that injury really hurt the Cavaliers. They then had to pivot. And um, they traded Rubio as an expiring contract for Karis LeVert in the middle of the year. And while LeVert, um, on paper, with the with the way he played with the Pacers, you thought he would be a good fit. Um, a good age for what the Cavs were building. He came in and he was never able to um, shoot like the way he was in Indiana and um, just wasn't a good fit overall. You know, it's always hard when you are moved to a different team in the middle of the year. And so with the whole off season now with the Cavaliers, it may be different for him and he may be able to have a, uh, a bounce back year next year. But um, that's to be, that's still to be seen. So in the playoffs, what we saw with the Cavs were, again, in the first game against the Nets, they just were over overmatched. The Nets had too much firepower, and um, the Cavs really was garland or bust in terms of playmaking. And we saw more of that in the second game with the Hawks, whereas, you know, Trey Young, uh, he has a little bit more experience than Darius Garland, and he just, um, they kind of, these those two teams were built similarly with Garland and Trey as the primary playmakers. But Trey just um, took over that game, and the Cavs ended up going home. One good thing that did come out of that was the pick, the pick that the Cavs sent to the Pacers in the Ricky Rubio for Karis LeVert trade was actually a lottery-protected pick. And so the fact that at that point, you thought the Pacers were definitely going to get that pick um, because the Cavs were on track to make the playoffs. And the fact that they didn't, um, you know, they got to keep their pick, which I thought ultimately, if they did make the playoffs as the number eight seed, 
chances are they were going to get knocked out early. We saw what happened to the Hawks against the Heat. And um, I don't think the Cavs would have fared that much better. And so, you know, for them, this is um, it might have been something to build off of. And they got a pick out of it as well. So, let's go over the Cavs offseason. The players that they lost, they lost Moses Brown to free agency to the Clippers. Ed Davis is still a free agent. He didn't bring him up. Bring him back. Brandon Goodwin, he's still a free agent. And Rajon Rondo, who was acquired in the middle of the year, um, was not brought back as well. And then the big thing that's still lingering out there is Colin Sexton going to be coming back to this team or not? We'll talk about him in a little bit, but he's a restricted free agent. Who did they add? So they, like we said, they got to keep their pick. And uh, they drafted out of Kansas with the 14th pick. And I may mispronounce this name. I apologize. But Ochai Agbaji from Kansas. They signed Robin Lopez. They also drafted the Isaiah Mobley, the younger brother of Evan Mobley, with the 49th pick. They signed uh, Raul Neto. And then they brought back Ricky Rubio, which I thought was a really good signing for them. Um, they re-signed Darius Garland to a max extension. So Garland finished three years in the league. This is his last year of his rookie contract, and then now he's signed to the max. So he's locked up long-term. So that's I thought was another good signing for them. So what are the big questions for the Cavaliers moving forward? The first question, what's going to happen with Colin Sexton? So with Sexton, he's in that tricky position where he wants more money than what the Cavs are willing to offer him. But... At the same time, there isn't much cap space out there for him to go find a contract or find a, a good deal, bring it back to the Cavs and say, match this or else I'm leaving. So he's in that very tricky spot. Um, you know, I think the reports out there are that he was offered a three-year, $40 million deal by the Cavs, which is surprising because I think he was even offered more, way more than that the prior offseason as an extension. And so he now is having trouble finding a good contract out there. And it's that tricky game with the restricted free agency where the team isn't willing to give you the money that you want, but they are saying, hey, go out there and find an offer. We will match it. But they're doing that with the here in this case with the confidence that there's not enough money out there or teams that maybe want Sexton that are going to give him that money. And, uh, you know, what's going to happen with Sexton? Is he going to come to an agreement with the Cavs? Um, where they kind of find some middle ground. Is he going to accept the one-year qualifying offer, which is a big risk, especially for someone coming off an ACL injury. But then he gets to be an unrestricted free agent next year, and he can sign with any team he wants. There's no restrict with the restriction restrictions of restricted free agency. Or do they sort of agree to some sort of deal in between where it's a shorter-term contract, and the Cavs give the yearly average money that Sexton wants, whether that's 17 to $20 million, but it's for a two-year deal or a three-year deal, and that allows Sexton to get back into free agency and um, find his next contract. That's going to be really interesting. The other big question for the Cavs, in my opinion, is what is how are these the three big pieces for the Cavs, which you would consider their core, Garland, Mobley, and Jared Allen. You would think that this is a sort of like a solid foundation of uh, what, I mean, this is ambitious, but I think this could be a championship core moving forward. If you look at teams 
uh, throughout history, they ha- all have like certain key components, right? So they have the lead ball handler and playmaker in Garland. They have the interior presence, um, a great defender in Jared Allen and a great finisher. And then they have that player like Mobley who just finished his rookie year and he has this enormous potential. We don't even know what Mobley's ceiling is going to be. Um, you see, he, he's going to get a, better as a shooter, which will help stretch the floor. Um, he's going to get better at finishing. As he puts on more muscle, he's going to become a stronger defender. Um, he's already a good passer. And so there's so much room for development for Mobley. And we don't even know what his ceiling is. Is he the best player on a championship team? Is he the second best player on a championship team ultimately? Is he that Swiss Army knife like Kevin Garnett who could do everything? Mobley doesn't have a ceiling at this point. Um, That's how good he is. And, you know, that's really exciting for Cavaliers fans. And he's only going into his second season. There's so much room for development. Um, The Cavaliers have played the long game since LeBron has left uh, for the second time in 2018. They've been stockpiling picks, um, slowly amassing contracts. And, you know, Garland and Mobley, those seem to be home run picks. And then that they really did a great job in that James Harden trade of jumping in. And they knew the Nets wanted to give up Allen um, instead of one more first round pick. And they really did it. I think they stole Allen in that trade. Um, You know, we kind of know what was going on in Brooklyn. They wanted DeAndre Jordan to start over Allen. They basically were giving Allen away, which didn't really make sense at that time. Doesn't even make sense now, even more so, because we've seen what type of player Allen is. And they stole Allen in that trade. Um, I thought that was really a savvy move by Kobe Altman, the GM. So, you know, they have these three solid pieces. Now it's really, can you build around them? Whether it's guys like Sexton, is Isaac Okoro going to be a piece that's staying moving forward? Karis LeVert? Um, I think Ricky Rubio can be a serviceable backup moving forward. Um, the Cavs have the have the important parts. Now it's just a matter of filling in the rest of the roster in a way that complements these three guys. And, uh, you know, again, with me and the Cavs, it's hard to be objective sometimes. But if you told me in two years that this team is in the conference finals, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, that's how good I, I uh, this team is, and I think that's how good these three guys can be. Well, there's only one way to find out, and that's with the season starting. But that's it for this time. Uh, Till next time. See ya. Welcome to another edition of the Ball Street Journal podcast. Today, recording a unplanned emergency pod on September 1st. So, I mean, you never see big trades like this. The Cleveland Cavaliers acquired Donovan Mitchell in what was seen as a shock move. I mean, everyone thought he was going to go to the Knicks. And in exchange for Donovan Mitchell, the Utah Jazz got Colin Sexton, who signed a new four-year, $72 million contract. And they also acquired Laurie Markkinen, as well as Ochai Abaji, who is their first-round pick this year. The draft capital that the Jazz got back was unprotected first-round picks in 2025, 2027, 2029, and then pick swaps in 2026 and 2028. So the Jazz got three first-round picks, future, unprotected, and basically they got an extra first-round pick because Ochai Agbaji was the Cavs' first-round pick this year. So... They also got the two swaps, 
and uh, Danny Ainge kind of maybe he uh, yeah I would say he did achieve what he sought out to do when he decided to kind of break apart this team first with the Gobert trade now with the Mitchell trade and he got four first round picks in the future from the Wolves and now another three from the Cavaliers and he also got two swaps with the Cavs and he got another swap with the Wolves so the Jazz are in full rebuild mode but before we get to the Jazz part of this deal and everything, when not analyzing this trade, the first thing I looked at was what are the Cavaliers now? So they, they're going to have a starting lineup of Darius Garland at the 1, Donovan Mitchell at the 2, then at the 3, it's kind of unclear right now, but maybe Isaac Okoro or uh, Karis Levert probably starting there. If they want to go maybe more defense, they'll probably do Okoro. More offense, they'll probably do Levert. But given the rest of the lineup now, it might. It seems like Okoro will probably be the starting small forward. And then they're going to have Evan Mobley at the four. And then Jared Allen at the five. So Garland and Allen have already been all-stars. And now you add a third all-star to this lineup in Donovan Mitchell. Evan Mobley, I mean, based on his rookie year, you have to think he's a franchise player. And he's also going to be a future all-star just based on what his rookie year looked like. So the Cavs basically have what looks like four all-star caliber players on their starting lineup. And then the fifth, like I said, you fill it in with Okoro and Mobley. Or sorry, Okoro or Levert. So, and then the next thing I looked at with this trade is what is everyone's contract situation? So especially because Donovan Mitchell, you thought everyone thought he was going to go to the Knicks. He's getting traded from Utah, which is a small market. So you you would think that he would want to go to a big market. And I think that was always one of the Jazz's worries that he wants to go to a big market and he won't eventually re-sign with Utah. But uh, Garland just inked a five-year extension this offseason. He's under contract till 2028. Mitchell is under contract till 2026, but he does have a player option in 2025, which you would think he would... Uh, opt out early in 2025 so that he can get a new deal maybe even with the Cavs but um, he can get a new deal especially the cap is expected to go up by then uh, with the new CBA and then Mobley he was drafted in 2021 so he's under contract till 2025 just on his rookie deal still so the Cavs has a overall cap sheet it's not going to get too expensive then we've seen this with all the rookies basically the team will control their whether it's restricted free agency or an early extension so you would think Mobley's not going to be under contract till 2029 2030 and then Allen last year he signed a five deal so he's under contract till 2026 so really the the guy who can opt out of this deal the earliest uh, will be Donovan Mitchell interestingly in three years but given the fact that the rest of the team is all on kind of on the same timeline um you know, I, I think this is like a home run for the Cavs, to be honest. Um, you know, I'm surprised they went ahead and made this kind of move. Uh, LeBron left in 2018, and I think Kobe Altman has just done a great job in the past four years, their GM, of rebuilding this team with uh, hitting on draft picks, some lottery luck, and then signing the right free agents and knowing like when to get, get off players. Um, and I think he's just done a great job. I mean, you look at the starting lineup, it's right up there in the East with the Bucks, the Celtics, um, you know, the, I, w- I would say. And maybe they probably have the third best starting lineup, I think, after the Celtics and Bucks. You would think them and maybe the Sixers are right uh, neck and neck. 
And the Cavs have a chance to be a top four team in the East now and get home court in the first round, which is a big, big step for them. I mean, this team, they almost made the playoffs last year. They didn't. They haven't made the playoffs since LeBron left in 2018. And in the East, they definitely have a playoff caliber team now. Uh, and so I thought that was a great move. And then, you know, for Donovan Mitchell, he gets to go from Utah, which is clearly in the rebuilding mode. Now he gets to go to this young, talented team. Um, and he gets a chance to grow with them. I thought this is another also a good move because Garland and Mitchell are two, going to be two small guards. Not the strongest defensive backcourt, but the backline is now going to be maybe Okoro, Mobley, and Allen. I mean, we all know about Allen's shot blocking skills. We saw that with Mobley last year too. Um, you know, they, they are, they're basically like an all-defensive uh, frontcourt rather. And so if you're going to have two small guards who can't play defense really well, I think the fact that you have two mobile guys, bigs like um, Allen and Mobley, and then Okoro on the wing as a defensive wing, I think that's the type of team you have to build behind a, a backcourt like Garland and Mitchell. Um, and so this was, I thought, a home run move for the Cavs. And then let's look at what the Jazz got here, right? So you, everyone thought that Mitchell was going to get traded to the Knicks eventually at some point, and Danny Ainge will get the draft capital he eventually wants it won't be all the Knicks picks available but it would be some good of like maybe five or it was the number being thrown around through four or five the Knicks stood pat they didn't want to pay the price that it was going to take Mitchell and they maybe felt they were bidding against themselves they went ahead and even signed RJ Barrett to an extension earlier this week we talked about it on the last pod and you know that made it more difficult for uh, Barrett to get involved in this deal just because of the poison pill restriction in his contract. And so the the Knicks kind of played hardball. They The Jazz called their bluff. They did sign RJ to the extension, but then it, it seemed like the Knicks were kind of left at the altar here because um, Danny Ainge went ahead and um, made the deal with Cleveland. He's getting three unprotected first-round picks. And as you were talking about when the contracts end, that's really important because starting in 2025 is the first uh, draft pick that the Cavs are giving up. 2025 is Don when Donovan Mitchell can opt out of this current deal. So then you, that's always like a concern, right? Like we just said, Donovan Mitchell in a small, mar small market. And then they're getting picks in 2027, 2029. So seven years out and then two pick swaps. So they're basically going to have the Cavs control of the Cavs draft for five years starting from 2025 but so Danny Ainge has now got his draft capital that he wants out of the Gobert and Mitchell trades and the Jazz you know they're not there's really no incentive for them to win now they have guys and veterans like Mike Conley Jordan Clarkson Malik Beasley and uh, Boyan Bogdanovich these are all guys that, if not now, before the season starts, in the middle of the season, when a team maybe needs some extra help, injuries, the Jazz are going to be right there. They, they are going to have these four guys to offer. And, you know, at least I, I think Bogdanovich will for, fetch a first-round pick. Um, I don't know about Clarkson and Conley, but you would think Beasley may also fetch a first-round pick. The others may go for, like, two seconds or such. And um, it's uh, Boyan is an expiring contract also, so his deal is very attractive to other teams. He will definitely get a first-round pick. Um, so the Jazz are definitely not done dealing. Um, I did see this note, interestingly, that they now have 17 players on this roster because, again, this was a one-for-three trade. Um, and you can only carry 15 going into the season. So they're, they're, they basically, I don't think they're going to cut any of these guys. 
uh, because they, then they'll just lose them for nothing. Again, all these players do have value, so they can always flip them for picks. And so at least, I think, just based on the math, at least two of them will maybe get traded before uh, the season officially starts as the Jazz need to cut down their roster, unless they cut some players on the back end. Um, but we'll see. I do think that Sexton is going to be part of their future, just given his age. Marketing will be part of the future. Babaji will also be part of the future. He's just a rookie. Uh, then out of the Minnesota trade, we already saw them flip Beverly. I think, you know, BC's a candidate to be flipped, but I do think they'll keep Jared Vanderbilt. Again, he's young, fits their timeline. We see that they got THD and Stanley Johnson in the prior trade. So Utah's intentions are very clear, um, especially now after this Mitchell trade. You know, they are going to be one of the top, I would say, bottom two teams in the West. Um, you, you know, and they're between maybe the Rockets and them and the Spurs. Their their intentions are clear. They want a high pick. They want Wenbayama or Scoop Henderson in this next draft. So, you know, it was a blockbuster trade. I think um, maybe next week we'll get into more just the steal and other implication. Maybe like what does this mean for the Lakers? We're maybe trying to get involved in a three-team Donovan Mitchell trade with the Knicks. Um, there's also what is where do the Cavs exactly stand in the East? I know we did a quick preview here in terms of their starting lineups, uh, but I think it would be do better to do like a kind of whole Eastern Conference standings recap. Um, you know, a lot of angles to this trade. And uh, I, you know, you, you, they because of the Kevin Durant news or the trade um, demand that came earlier this offseason, you know, these kind of trades don't usually happen at the end of August or start of September. Um, and we're getting like a later news just because of what uh, the Kevin Durant trade demand did and it kind of held up the whole market. And um, ever since we heard the news of the Nets and KD reuniting or their plans to reunite, I think all we're hearing um, is that all the trade chatter that was held before is now coming through. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to get the instant reactions off. Uh, and it's going to be interesting as we see more out of this deal. And I, I think the other thing we will talk about for sure as well, um, when Nishad gets back especially, we definitely got to talk about the Knicks end and um, ultimately was it the right decision? Should they just have given up more or was it right to hold uh, you know, kind of stay firm. That's going to be another interesting angle to look at. But it'll all be coming up next week. Hope everyone has a great weekend. Signing off on this path. Bye, guys. I want to give a shout out to our producer, Sandeep, and to let all the listeners know to help us out and follow us on Instagram at bsjpod and on Twitter as well at bsjpod. You can also find all our episodes uploaded onto our website at www.bsjpod.com. Thank you.